You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guest is Dr. Emily Chu, Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Clinical Applications and the Deputy Clinical Director at the National Eye Institute at NIH, the National Institutes of Health a medical retina specialist with extensive experience in designing and directing clinical trials which provide data for discoveries of innovative cures for eye disease. Dr. Chu recently gave the first inaugural Ryan Memorial Lecture at the Doheny Eye Institute. In this podcast, we'll discuss her insights about the aging eye in the 21st century. Dr. Chu works on a number of diabetes studies to evaluate genetic associations with diabetic eye disease, and she studies the link between diet, cataracts, and macular degeneration, among many other things. A graduate of the University of Toronto Medical School, Dr. Chu was a fellow at the Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins University and the University of Nijmegen in the Netherlands. It's a great pleasure to have you join me for this conversation. Thank you and welcome, Dr. Chu. Thank you, Jody, for having me. So let's let's start with your latest research findings, suggesting that diet really matters in decreasing the risk of macular degeneration, one of the most prevalent and debilitating vision problems for our aging population. Can you explain what we know about the diet link and then can we talk a little bit about the findings that have evolved over the course of the two studies you've directed? Sure. And we found that people who eat green leafy vegetables, which are found in particularly in spinach, kale, and collard green, all these are so-called superfoods, have a lot of what we call lutein and zeaxanthine, which is very important for the eye. And the second factor uh, are fish, uh, the fish which is purported to have lots of omega-3 fatty acids, which a lot of people think are very important for you, is also another important factor that is very important for our macular generation. So, for example, people who eat fish at least twice a week have much less macular generation than those who do not eat fish at all. Uh, and going forward, developing sort of later stages of macular generation that causes vision loss we find that people who eat lots and lots of spinach, like we're thinking about half a cup five times a week, which is a lot, compared to people who never eat it, there is seems to be a trend that, again, people who eat well seem to have less of the of this macro generation. So you're one of the designers of these studies. What prompted you to investigate diet? So diet has been always been interesting. And at the time when we did this in the 90s, that was actually the fad, a lot of Studies were ongoing for cardiovascular disease, heart disease, uh, and also for cancer. It's sad to say none of those studies came out to be positive, but we were fortunate enough in that study where we studied vitamin C, vitamin E, beta carotene, and the mineral zinc and copper. We found that giving that as a supplement, we were able to reduce the risk of macular degeneration by as much as 25% in five years. So in other words, we, we reduced the risk of blindness by 25% by having people who are at risk taking this supplement. And uh, when you say a supplement, is that like taking a multivitamin or is it through dietary intake, through actual food? Or how, how do you coach or assist uh, patients in that? So the supplement I just described really is in the pill form or capsule. 
Uh, so it's a true supplement. These are very high doses. We promote this am- among people who are at risk for macular degeneration. If you don't have macular degeneration, it will not help you. These are people with the earlier stages that we can diagnose. Uh, for those who don't have any eye problems and have a clean bill of health, it doesn't seem to have any effect. So we don't certainly promote people just in general taking the supplement. And so one of my questions would be then about compliance. Was the reason for developing the supplement because there was concern about compliance with dietary suggestions? Well, the Dietary is dif- difficult because, you know, elderly people have difficulties getting fish and, you know, fresh fresh vegetables, uh, which is a problem. But more than that, the supplements we give is much higher than we can take in the diet. So that amount of vitamin C, you have to eat like a dozen oranges, which is difficult for people to do, uh, and to eat, you know, a lots and lots of wheat during to get to vitamin E. So vitamin E and beta carotene and all that, we just cannot get that much in the diet. So clearly patients are helped by the supplement. Another strand of your investigations examines genetic testing and predisposition to the disease and genes as a predictor of responses to therapies. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, genetic testing has become very important. People, you know, do it for cancer therapies and other types of therapy to see whether they, they would be kind of customizing, tailor-making this for their particular disease. Now, unfortunately, the genetic testing for macular degeneration doesn't really add a lot to prediction of what happens to people in the future. We've done this in a number of studies, and what really matters is actually looking in the eye. That helps to predict what's going to happen in the future for your eyes more than the genetic testing. Uh, we are certainly moving into so-called personalized medicine, looking at the genetics and how that would react with different studies of different diseases as well as drugs. But for macular degeneration, that is just not true. You know, in all good science, you have to repeat the studies and make sure that you can reproduce the same results. Well, we have not been able to do that with these studies of macular degeneration and genetic testing. I was thought that these supplements might be harmful if you have certain genetic markers, but that has not been replicated. That's true for injections. So the bottom line is we do not recommend AMD or genetic testing for macular degeneration at this point. Does the diet work regardless of gene type? Well, we believe that diet works quite well for, for a number of reasons. However, there are some suggestions that if you have very high-risk genes, uh, by eating a good diet, you may actually reduce the risk genetically. So a good diet is important for everyone regardless of your genetic disposition. Knowing that you have a a high risk gene doesn't preclude you. So in other words, I think the recommendation of having good fruits and vegetables is important for cardiovascular disease, for cancer, and also for your eye health. Doctor, I'm curious about the aging eye in the 21st century. Are there factors that are making our eyes age differently today? And how are patients with eye disease treated differently than maybe 20 or 50 years ago? Is technology really the answer to both of those questions? With the combination, the, you know, technology has improved dramatically. We can pick up diseases much earlier, but don't forget we're living much longer. So some of the risk factors for these age-related diseases is age. Increasing age is going to increase the risk of a number of people having it. I'm not sure the disease itself has changed dramatically, but it's a detection of disease, which has been much earlier. Uh, there are newer changes. There are newer treatments, for example, people with wet macular degeneration, those are ones with new blood vessels. 
until 2006 are basically left to have poor vision because there was really no good treatment for that. But 2006 changed when the FDA approved a drug that was used for colon cancer, and when injecting in the eye, it reduced the risk of vision loss dramatically. It stabilized patients in 90% and 40% actually improved, which was unthought of and really unbelievable. Now, having said that, we're not there yet for every, everybody. The dry type inoculation still needs a lot more treatment, and we're working very hard to find treatments to stop it from progressing. And, and more important, if we can find something to prevent macrogeneration, that would be even better. Dr. Chu, because you're there at the National Eye Institute at NIH, and you're surrounded by scientists at the top of their game, and especially people who are new to the field, what questions do you find that young scientists at the National Eye Institute are most interested in pursuing? National Eye Institute, they're really interested in looking at the very common causes of blindness, uh, which include macrogeneration. There are research going on in glaucoma. And of course, one of the most really epidemic problems we're facing in this new world is diabetes. You know, type 2 diabetes is happening in patients who are very young and children. That did not happen before. But because of our change in lifestyle, the increase in obesity, uh, that has increased this disease dramatically. But not only in the U.S., globally, continents like Africa, countries like Asia and uh, in Asia, like China and India, are seeing a huge increase because of the change in lifestyle. This is going to be a, a major, major problem going forth. And we really need to find some good treatments, really, again, at, to get to the root and try and prevent obesity, try and prevent diabetes. People with diabetes have a much increased risk for blindness, and it's the leading cause of blindness in people with, in, the, in the working age. And, and do you find that you're the cohort of the youngest scientists at NIH are mostly interested in these questions? They're interested in a lot of these questions. There's a variety. There are also a number of rare diseases they're interested in, the rare diseases that, that might not affect number a you know, large number of people, but it may help us understand the, the eye a little bit better, the disease mechanism a little better, so we could apply that knowledge to other diseases as well. And what studies are in the pipeline and, in your opinion, are most significant for advances in the field in the next five years? Well, I think a lot of gene therapy is happening to understand how that would work. The stem cell work is, you know, taking cells from um, actually from a, from a person who has the disease and, and re, reprogramming it, growing it, making it into another type. These are, you know, sounds like science fiction, but these are incredible uh, advances that may help us in the future. And I think just hoping to look for more prevention, public health prevention, is really an important aspect that, that we really have to mobilize our forces to work on. This is very important uh, to get at the disease prior to its you know, late stages to prevent any vision loss. And when you talk about that kind of public education piece, um, wh where do you see gaps? I think some of the gaps are just understanding how disease mechanism works and then having some things that, you know, we know are good public health issues. Just smoking, for example, uh, has dramatically reduced the risk of cardiovascular disease and, and lowering salt hopefully and improves hypertension. So those sort of things may be also applicable for some of our eye disease, promoting 
good control of di- diabetes, uh, that could reduce your risk of eye disease by as much as 70%. So there are gaps in knowledge that we're not really pressing out to the public or, or trying to educate them as much as possible. So the education piece really needs to be boosted up quite a bit more, I believe. Before you go, I do want to touch on some of the other numbers. We started to talk about this, and I want to go a little deeper. Why your work matters so much. Can you share with listeners how we calculate the costs of vision loss for patients and their families? Of course, it's very personal with the loss of mobility and potential and cost in our healthcare system. And then there are the numbers around the kind of investment that we make in research. Vision loss is, is devastating to a person. 70% of people who are survey would equate vision loss to the same as having cancer or cardiovascular disease. So that, that particular cost cannot even be totally evaluated. The healthcare system is really ballooned up by our new technology. For example, macrogeneration treatments may cost $2,000 of injection. That's just for the drug alone. That's given monthly for a number of people affected with macrogeneration, people with diabetic eye disease, and other diseases where, you know, there's blood clots and things that are important. And the indications for this particular treatment has just escalated. So imagine $2,000 a month for several years. That's going to the doctor every month. That includes patients who don't have good vision, need family members to take time off to take them. So that cost is enormous, both the resource as well as the emotional burden of doing that is, is, is enormous. If we can prevent disease so patients don't get to the stage where they need to have their families take time off and, and they themselves are cut short because their productivity is reduced because they cannot see. Just the supplements alone can reduce 300,000 people over a period of five years from going blind. That's a significant number. And the numbers using for, for the injections are even much higher than that, that we save many, many more people. And they are able to have a much better quality of life, enjoy their grandchildren, they can travel, have the independence, and many may even work even longer. People don't retire much you know, at 65 now. They go on to work. So people who are able to see are very grateful, are able to have very productive lives. And can you talk a little bit about the economics around uh, our research investment and what the flow of monies towards this kind of research is like? And what's happened now is that about 10% sometimes of people who submit research grants are actually granted their their actual grants because the, the research is so tight in terms of money. Uh, so there are other methods of getting money. People are going to foundations and doing other aspects to do as much research as possible. So we really need to be out there advocating for the research because the, the money that we put in is comes back in, in dramatic amounts. So for example, the NEI receives about $700 million a year. And that's where one of the smaller institutes, you know, there's much more money going into cancer and heart disease, uh, rightly so. But that's not sufficient. We, we really need to try and keep our investigators uh, working and, and nurturing the next generation investigators that are so crucial to the health of our nation. 
Dr. Chu is the Deputy Director of the Division of Epidemiology and Clinical Applications and the Deputy Clinical Director at the National Eye Institute at NIH, the National Institutes of Health. Thank you again for your time, Dr. Emily Chu. Thank you very much for having me. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.